I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. We meet on Wednesday because of the coronavirus. We meet uh, around 2.30, and we begin to read uh, the emails from all over the world and from the TV stations all over America. We're on about 270 towns and cities on TV all up and down the East Coast and the West Coast and all over the Midwest and the South. And God has opened up the ministry for a lot of people. I had a fellow call uh, from Dillon, South Carolina, yesterday or last night. His name was Robert. Robert seemed very hungry for the truth, very tender-hearted, and he, all he wanted to do was talk about the Bible. And I got to tell him about Greek words. I said, do you have a concordance? He said, yes. I said, what you need is an interlinear Bible. He said, what's that? And I told him, an interlinear, this is one right here, interlinear Bible. This is J.P. Green's interlinear. Interlinear. Now, having a strong concordance is okay. That gets you started, and that is the, that's a beginner's. That's like uh, first grade or maybe kindergarten. That's what will start you. But an interlinear has the Greek on the top line in the New Testament, and it has the English right under it. Now, I don't even trust the English because it's a translation by whoever the guys were that translated this. I use the English to locate the Greek word. I write the Greek word down, and then I ignore the English part other than to remember what they were saying it meant. And so, interlinear Bible, and it will give you the exact spelling of a word. Interlinear Bible. I'm going to tell you a little bit about studying the Bible, what you need to do and how you need to learn. It's very important that you get an interlinear Bible, not because you need to read it, but you need the original word and how it's spelled. Original word. What do you mean by that? Mr. Strong. This is the word the here. Here's the word the in the Bible. You've got, you've got three articles, three articles in the English. The, a, and an. A and an are never in the original text. Those are called indefinite articles. You can have an apple or you can have a car. That means there's more cars. An apple means you can have more than one apple. But the zeroes in and that's called a definite article. That's the only thing you have in the Greek. Definite article. Here is the word the right here. There's 24 ways just to spell the word the. Now this this chart comes out of Machen's G. Gresham 
Gresham Machen's. And this man, his Greek study book was used in the majority of all seminaries for 50 years or so. And he he was around all through the mid-1900s. And this chart comes out of his book on New Testament Greek for Beginners. He's not the only one that has a beginning book. You can, one I use more than anything else is William Mounts. He seems to have a lot of information. William Mounts, Greek book. William Mounts, and there are others. Daniel Wallace. I've got his also. That's beyond biblical, beyond the basics. And But William Mounts has basics of biblical Greek. And basics doesn't mean it's real simple. It'll be simple for a Greek student, but not for you, probably. Now, these are the things you can get. Now, what I'm getting at, it's Mr. Strong, when you, let me put it up here on the board. You have nominative, genitive, dative, accusative case. And if you'll notice on this chart right below it, here's the word agathos. Agathos is the word good in Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good. Well, you've got 27 ways to spell good because you've got a vocative case, which you don't have in the Vocative means it's vocal. It's a direct address. You go over there and sit. So it's, it's a vocal thing. Well, I'm just going to talk to you about this up here. You have masculine, feminine, neuter, gender in the singular. Masculine, feminine, neuter, gender. I've had people say, I don't know what gender means. Masculine means male. Feminine means female. Means a woman or a girl. Or if you called your your car Betsy, that would be a feminine in a sense. And then you got neuter. Neuter would be a stool, a chair, a table, your car your house, that would all be neuter gender. It means it's not male or female. So you got masculine, feminine, neuter in the singular. That means one. Plural means more than one, two, or more. So you got nominative, genitive, dative, and accusative case in the plural. Well, you say, I don't know what nominative, genitive, dative, and accusative case is. It's pretty simple if you know some real basic English just basic you got you got you have masculine feminine neuter in each one of these so you got 24 ways just to spell the word the does that matter yes it matters completely and then you have and that's in the singular then you have masculine, feminine. Yeah, put it here. You have masculine, feminine, neuter in the plural, and you got the same cases. 
So you got 24 ways to spell the. Does that matter? The way you're going to find out what it is is look it up in an interlinear Bible if the is there. Let me, about this word the, anytime you have a proper name like God, like in, in, uh, in John 3.16, when, when the Bible says, For God so loved the world, for God so loved. Anytime you have a proper name like God, it doesn't have for God so loved the world. It says for, nominative case, masculine, singular. For ho, God. Well, that's the, that's the, here, nominative case. What does nominative case mean? Nominative case means the subject or the predicate nominative. You say, Jim, I don't know what that means. Let me tell you what it means. A subject is what the sentence is about, Jim. Is and the best way to do it is to diagram a sentence the way they diagram at school. Jim is now. Any time you have a predicate nominative, you got to have this line pointing back over to the subject. That's the way it's divided. Jim is the pastor. All of your modifying words go under. The thing that they they modify the Jim is the pastor. Pastor and Jim are the same thing in a sentence. Pastor is the same thing in a predicate that equals the subject. The subject is what it's all about. So it's about Jim. Pastor and Jim are the same thing. So this is the predicate nominative pastor. Then you have a direct object. Direct object. The direct object is the accusative case. These are all the ways to spell masculine, feminine, neuter. And you have to look that up in an interlinear Bible to find out which one it is. So, a direct object, these are two sentences. If you can learn this, you can learn two of the major things in English or in Greek. When the when if Jim threw the ball, this is the way you divide it up. You don't lean that top that line like you do on a predicate object pointing back to the subject. It's a straight up and down line. So through is an action verb. Anytime you have an action verb. You have to have a noun or a pronoun that receives the action throw of Jim. So what receives the action of Jim is the ball. So Jim threw the ball. Now, in order to have a dative case, that's the indirect object. Jim threw the ball to to John. John to John would be the indirect object. That would be the 
accusative case. Now you say, why are you telling us this? I'm going to show you why it's so important to have an interlinear Bible and how to use it. Now, you need to know the alphabet. When you use the Strong's Concordance, all Mr. Strong is going to give you, he's going to give you one answer. He's going to give you nominative. Now, nominative is either the subject or the predicate nominative. All he will give you is nominative case, masculine, singular. He's going to give you that word right there. Why do you need to know the rest of it? Well, in John 3.16, when the Bible says God so loved the world, world is the word cosmos in Strong's. This is the way Mr. Strong will do it. He'll give you nominative, masculine, singular. He gives you cosmos. Or in the Greek, you can spell it K-O-S. That's an S with a little flag on top. On the end of a word, their S is like this, like our S. The hook on the bottom is smaller, but that's an S in the middle word. K-O-S-M. An M looks like an upside-down H with a little hook on it. O-S. S on the end of a word is not like an S in the middle of a word. Excuse me, I put the wrong S on the end of the word. S on the end of a word is like our S. An S in the middle of a word is like an oval with a little flag on it. So cosmos is not the word in the concordance. The word is K-O-S-M-O. In. Well, that is because, that's because God loved world. Loved is, loved is an, it's a verb, it's an action verb. What receives the action of God is world. He loves world. So therefore, world is actually in the accusative case of the direct object. So it is singular, masculine gender, and it's actually K-O-S-M-O-N. The N, it's N. Word endings are changed depending on some character of the word. So it's not actually cosmos. That's what Strong's will say. But it's actually cosmon. That's what it is. So God loved world. Cosmos, I go ahead and use cosmos. It means an orderly arrangement. And it's masculine gender. How do you find out if it's masculine gender? You look in here and you look it up and you write the Greek word down. I need to give you the Greek alphabet again. I told this guy, Robert, I was going to give you the Greek alphabet along with some more information today. You need to look in here and look at the word, and it'll say cosmon. In Strong's, it'll say cosmos. So you need to look here. So he loved 
and it it'll it'll give you the spelling on it. That way you have to learn your alphabet and you look up the correct spelling in a analytical lexicon. I got one up here. You look up in an analytical lexicon. Here it is. I've got several at home. I've got some here. You look it up in here and get the exact spelling. It'll tell you what gender it is. It's masculine, feminine, neuter. But you've got to memorize your alphabet. The alphabet is not hard. It's basically our alphabet. Let me give it to you again. Here's the alphabet up here. Be sure and put the camera on this. Their alphabet is... Let me erase this and I can... If I need to comment, I can. I don't normally preach this much instruction in Greek, but some people, he said, I'd really like to know. Here's your alphabet. You know where your alphabet is? You take your Strong's Concordance, take your Strong's, go back to the back. If you can't remember it here, you go back to the back, to your Greek dictionary in the back, and I'll give it to you here. Your Greek dictionary, and it will have the Greek alphabet on the page right before your Greek dictionary. Here it is right here. All you have to do, it'll tell you what the letter is, what it's called, and how to pronounce it. And I'll do that right now with you. So it's in your concordance if you have a concordance. So here's the Greek alphabet. They named their alphabet... Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Eor, Capital, Lambda, Me, so forth. So you have A, B, G, D. The G looks like a short, stubby Y. Now, why did they put the G there instead of later in the sentence? Mainly because they were here before we were. And they did it the way they wanted it. So instead of A, B, C, D... All you have to do is learn to recognize what a G looks like. Looks like a little short stubby Y. The A looks like an A. The B looks like a B. The G looks like a little short stubby Y. And this is a capital G. Then the D looks like you're going to make a D, like you're going to make one, but you just go up and cut it on the top. That's a D. This is a capital D that looks like a triangle. Then this, then, so, if you remember A, B, G, D, then you can remember these next three letters by remembering E-Z. E-A-S-Y, except that's not it. It's E-Z-E. This word, this is an E, and this is a Z, this is a Z, and this is an Ada. This E is a shorty like met. This is a Z, as in sozo. A Z is pronounced D-Z the majority of the time. So that's the word saved. Saved. 
And then you've got EZE. This is a short E, the first one. This is a Z. This is a long E, like they. Sounds like A. A and A. Now, you've got a theta. The theta is two, two letters in our alphabet. It's a TH, but it's only one letter in the Greek. Like Thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. Thalibo is the word narrow is the way. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And you have to learn something about the Greek. You've got a noun and a verb form of the noun. Well, this Thalibo, narrow is the way, means to crowd through a narrow opening. Then you have got uh, the... This is a verb form of the word thalipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. That is the word tribulation. So the narrow way is going through tribulation. These come from the same word, tribulation. Now, that's the theta, the T-H. Then you're into our alphabet. If you can get A-B-G-D, easy, and a theta, you're in our alphabet all the way down to the U. But no J, no Q. So you can remember this. All you got to do is learn what they look like. The I looks like our I. The K looks like our K. The L, it's called a lambda, looks like an upside down Y. The M looks like an H with a little hook on it. That's an M. This is an N. A new. It's called a new. Moo, new. This is called a new, and it looks like an N. This is a capital new. It looks like an N. This is a small N. It looks like that. Then this is not. This is an X. The X is, in, is the same reason they put the X there instead at the end of the alphabet. It's the same reason they put the G here. They were here first. This is an X. It's pronounced Kazi. That is like in the word uh, Kazinos, X-E-N-O-S, which means stranger. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you. Strange is the word X-E-N-I-Z-O. It means an occasional guest. Think it not strange. So that's a kazee. That's an X. This is not an X down here. It looks like an X, but it's not. It's a C-H. It's just like this up here. This is a T-H. This is two letters in our in our alphabet, but it's one letter in the Greek. It's a key. C-H-R-I-S-T-O-S is the word Christ, Christos. Then you've got, so you got O-P-R-S-T-U. The O looks like our O. That's an Omicron. It's pronounced ah. And this down here is an omega. That's an O, and it's pronounced O. So you've got to know the difference in them. Then a P looks like pi, and it is. 
And there are, they simply took the front leg of our R, knocked it off, and you got their R. That's a capital R. This is a small R. Then you've got an S. I should have had them put like this on the board because this is on the ending of a word. That's in the middle of a word. This is an S. It looks like a great big E as a capital. This is a T. That's a tau. That's a tau. And then you got the U. It's called Upsilon. The capital U looks like a Y. Then you got three more words that are three more letters that are two letters in the English. P-H. P-H-I-L-E-O. That's one letter in the Greek. Phileo is one of the words that translate to love. It means affection or to like. And then you've got a key, which is a CH, and there's many words like Scria, C-H-R-I-A, which is the word anoint. And you've got, then you've got the Pazee, P-S-E-E. And that's the word, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Natural is the word P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. It means the man of the senses does not receive spiritual things. Then you have the omega. So, here's what you have. Let me give it to you real quick. A-B-G-D. A-B-G-D-E-Z-E. A T-H. Then you're in our alphabet. I-K, no J. I-K-L-M-N-X-O-P-R-S-T-U. You already know this part right here. From here all the way down to here. Then the phi, keep, z, and omega. You think you can get that? Now, that's the way you can look up the word in an interlinear Bible, look up the exact spelling, and when you get the exact spelling, you can take... There is a program, a computer program, that you can look up the part of speech, and it will give you everything about it. It would be it would be a computer program that would be equivalent to a, to one of these analytical lexicons. Why is that important? And you well when you learn begin to learn what the Bible is about, you want to learn more about what it's about. That's the alphabet. Now why is it important to know the this I'm going to give you some things on the the you got masculine you got masculine feminine neuter masculine feminine neuter in the plural and you got singular plural and you got nominative genitive dative and accusative case sometimes you got a vocative but that's not normal now I'm going to give you some of these things and this why it'll show you what this is talking about you've got hay taste tay hay that's got a diacritical mark in front of it has a breathing sound ha hay that's the word the hay 
then you've got taste, tay, taste, tay, and tain. T A N. Yeah, I'm starting to spell it wrong. T A N. Nab. T A N. A N is always feminine gender on the end of a word. Now, why is that important? Well, because there's been some error translating the King James Bible. We've been talking about the resurrection. Well, if if the Bible says, if it says, te, now the, now the is, there are three articles in the English. One article in the Greek, the, 24 ways to spell it. All nouns or pronouns that are modified by an article have to carry the same gender as the article that modifies them. So, if you've got some, like the word resurrection, every time you find the word resurrection, it's anastasis. Now, word endings are changed depending on some character. When you leave off the I-S, it becomes from feminine. It becomes from feminine to masculine. When all you have is the word anastas. What does that matter? Well, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. When Jesus... Every time you find the word resurrection, it is the word anastasis. Anastasis is feminine gender. So that cannot possibly be talking about the resurrection of Jesus. If you got the resurrection instead of my resurrection, well, over here... Every time you find the word risen, risen, usually it will be the word engero, E-G-E-I-R-O, E-G-E-I-R-O. Now, if they put some kind of ending on it to change the gender, let me show you why this is important to have an interlinear Bible. Let's look here at Mark. Mark the 16th chapter of the 9th verse. We've been talking about the resurrection. Mark the 16th chapter and the 9th verse. Mark 16 and 9. 16 and 9. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. The 16th chapter is the last chapter of Mark. And the Bible says in 16 and 9, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week. That word risen, that's where it usually expresses Jesus. Every time the Bible says 
resurrection, it is anastasis, it's feminine gender. This word here is the word anastas, A-N-A-S-T-A-S. That's masculine gender. That's because this is talking about Jesus' resurrection, right? That's why it's talking. That's what it's talking about. But you've got these verses where the Bible is speaking of the resurrection has been translated wrong. Look over here in in Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter. And here's what Paul said. He said in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It looks like Jesus' resurrection in that right there, doesn't it? That's what it looks like. That I may know him and the power of it doesn't say of his resurrection. It says of Te. Ta'ada. The feminine resurrection. What is that talking about? It doesn't say my. You can only find that if you use an interlinear Bible. Look up that verse in there and it will say the resurrection feminine gender. What's that talking about? That's talking about the church has to die daily. And resurrection means to, anastasis means to come to life after death, after dying. And do we die daily? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me well over there in first corinthians paul said first corinthians the 15th chapter first corinthians 15 he said when you look in that 15th chapter and you look at verse Fifteen and verse in verse uh, thirty-one. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Well, what? How do we die daily? We're crucified on a daily cross, and we resurrect as soon as somebody quits crucifying us. They put us to death. Remember death, thanatos. Thanatos means separation. It does not mean annihilation. People say you're annihilated and you go to hell and you burn up. No, you're separated from God forever because there's a great gulf fixed. The word gulf, chasma, means a separation. It has basically the same word as Thanos or Thanatos. So, he said, I die daily. Well, to know the resurrection of Christ, Paul said that I may know him. Now, let me show you what he's talking about when he says in Philippians. Philippians 
in Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of the resurrection, the feminine resurrection. Well, what is the word power? Dunamis. And dunamis is that word power. Same word in Romans, the first chapter, when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, the dunamis of God. The gospel is the dunamis. So wherever you find the dunamis, you can substitute the word gospel. And the gospel is the resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. So, what is the fellowship of his suffering? Fellowship is that word kononia. What is this talking about? It's talking about fellowshipping of those people that are dying daily and they're being resurrected daily in Christ Anastasis, they're dying daily and they're resurrecting daily that we may fellowship with people who believe in dying daily and resurrecting from resurrecting in Christ daily. I've got other. Let me give you something else in John 11. It See, how are you going to know whether it says my or whether it says the? My is a possessive pronoun. The is an adjective. You can't change a possessive pronoun or a, a feminine. You can't change feminine te or tes into my. My is a pronoun. The is an adjective. You can't do that, but they did. That's wrong in the King James. King James Bible is not the inspired Word of God. The Greek text is. The Greek. That's why you need Leonard in your Bible. But you need to memorize your alphabet so you can learn to understand what these words mean. Now, he says over here in John 11. John. How do I know what these are? I look them up in the inner linear. John 11. See, if you think the resurrection is only, the resurrection is only Christ's resurrection. No, Christ has a resurrect in us daily because we have to die daily. And we take our cross and die daily. And we drink the cup, which is the death. And we're blood baptized, which is a death. And we deny self, which is a death. And we crucify the flesh, which is a death. And how do you do that? You say the truth and live in it regardless of the cost. So is it important to know these things? Oh, yeah. Now look here. Lazarus has died. We're in the 11th chapter. Lazarus has died. And let's hear in John 11. Where should I read here? He says here, talking about Lazarus, uh, he says in 
in verse 8. Well, he's talking about Mary and Martha. Let's start in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days in the place where he was. And after that, he saith to his disciples, Let us go unto Judea again. Now, why would he stay two days? He's over across the Jordan River. Why would he stay there? The Jews said that the spirit hovered around the the body for three days. And he was over here beyond Jordan. And he waited two days when he heard that Lazarus was dead. And it takes him two days to come back and raise Lazarus from the dead. So the fact that Lazarus was dead for four days, the Jews said that they mean they were dead, and therefore the spirit would leave. And his disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. Goest thou thither again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. If a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Now Lazarus had died. And I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. Sleep was a term used for the dead elect didn't mean it mean your body was over there sleeping in a grave but your spirit was with the lord and he said to his disciples if he and his disciples then said his disciples if he's asleep he'll do well Howbeit jesus spoke of his death he spoke of death when he said he sleeps he's talking about his body sleeping but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Sleep is a term used for the dead elect. And I am glad that I was not there to the intent that you may believe because it's been four days. And that way the Jews will know that his spirit has left. Well, even though that wasn't true, that's what they said. To the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. That's significant. The Jews said the body would hover around, the spirit would hover around the body for three days. That was one of their sayings. And then it would go where it was supposed to go. So the fact that God says he was four days and he was dead, that means he was really dead to the Jews that were watching. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem after 15 furlongs. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother Lazarus. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. She was not much of a believer. Or Martha wasn't much of a believer. Then said Martha unto Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
And I know, but I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. That word resurrection is feminine gender. It didn't mean I am the resurrection when I rise again from the dead. It meant I'm the resurrection in Lazarus. So anytime you find the word resurrection, it is always the word anastasis and its feminine gender. The Bible speaks of Jesus arising from the dead, and that's always the word engero, E-G-E-I-R-O. Well, engero can have a word ending that makes it masculine or feminine gender. So if it's feminine, let me show you an illustration. Go over to the 27th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 27. I don't have a lot of time to bring... Now, this is one of the most peculiar things that happens in all the Bible. Jesus is crucified, and then he's resurrected. The Bible speaks of his resurrection. He's coming up out of the grave. Here, 27. And every time the word resurrection is mentioned, it's always anastasis, except for this one time. Except for one time. And looking here in the 27th chapter, the Bible says, in verse 53, and it came, and he, and came out, well, let's read, 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. There was a, evidently a lot of the believers at Jerusalem came out of their graves. That's one of the most miraculous things in the Bible when he resurrected. And they came out of the graves, it says, after his resurrection doesn't say that in the original text. It says meta tay tain meta it, that's it's not the word after, it could be the word after, but it's meta tain anastasis. It's meta tain after the feminine resurrection. Or it doesn't say after, it says with. Meta means with. The feminine resurrection. That was a feminine resurrection. Why is it feminine? Because that's the church resurrecting. The church is the wife, the bride. Every time you see resurrection and it's feminine gender, that's because it's the church, the wife, the bride. It's Jesus didn't arise as a feminine word. He didn't rise that way. He's masculine. Is that important to know this? Oh, yeah. And you got to go through all of these 
times this is mentioned. So when he said, I am the I am the resurrection. He's saying, I am the feminine resurrection that Lazarus is going to rise because he's a part of the church and that's me in him. There are so many errors in a King James Bible. I've told you about this so much over and over again. Let me give you something else you need to learn about studying. Go over to Romans 8. Romans 8. You have to learn to connect everything together the way it is. When you... I'm going to try to get to my lesson. I just was putting this stuff on the board to help Robert with his understanding. And I'll do some more of this so you can better understand it. But that's the reason you need the interlinear Bible to find out what the exact word is. Mr. Strong's not going to give you the exact word every time. He'll give you... Sometimes he will change the words. Look here in the 8th chapter. In verse 1. You need to know what conjunctions are. A conjunction, you've got different kinds of conjunctions. The two that we're going to deal with mainly are coordinating. The coordinating conjunction is one that it puts two thoughts together like and. That's a coordinating conjunction. If I said Jim went to the store to store and bought a loaf of bread bought a loaf of bread is is a is a it's a phrase that Coordinating conjunction coordinates two thoughts. Jim went to the store as an independent clause. You can have that by itself. It's an independent clause. But a coordinating conjunction puts a clause with it, bought loaf of bread. That's, that's a dependent clause. It depends on what's been said. Dependent. Well, Jim bought a loaf of bread. Jim went to the store, bought a loaf of bread. Depends on Jim going to the store. So that's a dependent clause. You say, what does that have to do with the Bible? I'm going to show you in just a minute. When you look at the first verse of Romans 8, there is therefore... Therefore is a conjunction. It's coordinating what has been said in Romans 7 
with what is about to be said in Romans 8. In fact, in Romans 8, that's going to carry all the way through to Romans 8, 28, and 29. Romans 8 and 28, 9 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. For is what you would call a subordinate conjunction. Sub-O-R-D-I-N-A-T-E. So subordinating conjunction. That means what is about to follow for whom he did foreknow has to depend on what has been said. You cannot just leave for alone in that verse. You cannot just say whom he did for no, he also did predestinate. You have to say for. For is very important because it's talking about the previous verse. It's talking about the previous verse. For goes with the previous verse and the, all the other previous verses. When you when you see for in verse twenty nine, for depends on verse twenty eight. You can't just quote Romans Romans eight twenty nine. You have to have four in there. And four refers back to verse twenty eight, and you see the first word in twenty eight, and that's a coordinating conjunction. That's gonna that's gonna connect all the clauses before that with verse twenty eight and 29, for being a subordinate. Subordinate means, it means it has to obey. If you are a subordinate on your job, you have to obey your boss. So when you see for in verse 29, you look at verse 28, and the sentence starts with that. Verse 27, and all of these are coordinating conjunctions and they all connect all these verses together. You see, and this is like one long rambling sentence which is something you don't do in English. And any English teacher will give you a D for putting all this rambling going on. But that's the way God wrote it. And you see, likewise, that's conjunction in verse in verse 26, but is a conjunction in verse 24, 23, and 22, for 21, because 20, verse 20, for verse 19, for verse 18, for. That means all of these thoughts are connected together. It's one long thought. And you cannot, and it all goes back to the first verse. Therefore, because of what he said in chapter 7, everything in chapter 8 depends on chapter 7 where he says you've got an inner man and you have an outer man. And the inner man can't sin 
no sin, and the outer man can't quit sinning until God works on that outer man through the years and perfects him and makes him mature and grow up and gets rid of most of the sin in his life. And the older you get, the less you want to sin. And whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So all of chapter 9 depends on what's being said in chapter 7. How many times have I gone through that? Therefore means what I'm about to say depends on what I just said. That's what it means. We, You can't interpret Romans 8 and 29 without knowing what has been said. And I've said this before. When you look at chapter 8 and you see the carnal man mentioned, that's a reference back to chapter chapter 7, verse 25. The carnal man is the outer man, the fleshly man that serves the law of the flesh. And when he says there in verse seven, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. That's the outer man in verse 6. But to be spiritually minded, that's the inner man, is life and peace. He serves God. And then he says the same thing in verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, but it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And all through there, he's got, he starts all these verses with a conjunction. It means everything's connected together. So you cannot quote Romans eight twenty nine for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, without connecting it to the previous verses, because they all are connected by these conjunctions. So preachers that preach and well God didn't God didn't predestinate everybody, when it says, and we know that all things work together for good, all of what things work together for good? All the things before that that causes us to groan in verse twenty two and in verse 23, the groaning, and groan is the word stenazo, S-T-E-N-A-Z-O, and that is a form of stenos. Stenos, that's the verb, and the noun is stenos, and that's the word straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it, and the few that find it is the one that's got it predestined to be conformed to Christ's likeness by our groaning. As we're entering through this narrow way. Now, I got so many things to tell you on this. I can't get to all of them. You have to learn. That's why when you look over here at Hebrews, you got to look and see what the translators did. Do I trust the translators? No. If I had the time and the energy and the life to go back and translate for myself, I would do that. So when you see the right before resurrection, it's usually the word one of the feminine genders, the. It means the resurrection of you and I daily as we're crucified daily. It doesn't say my, and it says they did the same thing here. In Hebrews, the third chapter, in verse, in verse 11, 
So I swear in my wrath. It doesn't say that. It says, so I swore in Tay. Or gay. Or the wrath. The orgay was the wrath of an angry, covetous man who wants to get revenge. A man who's covetous. Well, that looks like God's wrath, but it's the wrath. So I swore in the wrath of the people. It's talking about when they were out in the wilderness and they wanted to kill Moses and Aaron for leading them out in the wilderness to die. That's what it's talking about when he's talking about they provoke God. Forty years in the wilderness, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. That's where the people provoked God, said, we want to go back to Egypt. Saw the old movie, The Ten Commandments, and this guy Dathan was talking about taking the people back to Egypt in their provocation and that in the wilderness, and that was exactly right. So, So I swore in my wrath. There's so many of these things, and you know why I believe they translated that? It actually says, so I swore in not my wrath. It's talking about not God's wrath. It looks like God's wrath. It means the wrath of the people, and here's what it actually says. So I swore in the wrath, the rage and the anger of the people, he says, Tay or gay, moo. Moo means of me. It means this anger and rage of the people when they were murmuring against God, it was of me. It means God put it on them. Well, people don't like that. I believe that's why they translated this as translators translate it this way. They didn't want it to look like the wrath came from God. Let me give you a couple other. How are you going to find this out? By looking in an interlinear Bible, learning the alphabet, and looking at the actual words that were written. I don't trust the King James Bible. Does that mean I trust the NIV? No, I don't trust that at all. That's the wrong text. I trust... The original text, the 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 Texas Receptus. That's all I trust. I do not trust any of these modern Bibles. Sixty-five hundred words were left out of the text. The out of the Westcott and Hort text, or the Aleph and Beth. That's where the that's where the NIV comes from. 6,500 words left out of that that are in the King James. But it's not the King James Bible that's the inspired Word of God. It's the original Greek text, and we have it. I just... You all realize how depressed I get over this. Let me give you something else. I, where did I get this? I got it out of the interlinear, what it actually says. Look over here in Romans, the first chapter. Romans 1. How much time do I have, Mike? 29. 
I have spent more time in this than I thought I was going to. Usually every time you find the my resurrection or resurrection in the Bible, it'll be feminine gender. Usually when it's referring to Christ being raised from the dead, it will say risen in Gero. And sometimes the word ending of in Gero will be added to to change. The, the word endings are changed to give some character of the word like masculine to feminine or feminine to masculine. But how do you find it out? Look here in Romans, the first chapter. How did I know? You know how long it would take to look these things up? A hundred lifetimes, all of them. I don't trust those. Why did the translators do that? Half the translators of the King James Bible were Roman Catholic. That's why. You can't trust them. I use a King James Bible because it comes from the correct text. You can get a lot of truth out of the King James, but you can get a whole lot more out of an interlinear. By looking, by learning your alphabet, by learning how to look things up. When it says here in in verse 18, for the wrath, the wrath, tay or gay, the wrath of God, that means the the orge that man has in him gets angry and wants revenge. It came from God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It says against all ungodliness. The word is not against. It's the word happy. It means upon. Upon all ungodly men. God brought it upon them. And the wrath is of God. Why is that? Why did God... I keep saying, if you're going to have sweet, you have to have something exactly opposite to be able to define sweet. You have to have sour or bitter. If there's no such thing in the world as sour or bitter, what would you call sweet? You have no definition. You'd call it... Uh, uh. you couldn't even give a word for it sweet is only sweet because it's opposite of sour and bitter that's the only reason what would you call up if there's no down well you wouldn't have an up if there's no down if you're on the top of a building you cannot be on the bottom at the same time can you no and look over here in Romans. Where did I get this? I get the word out of the interlinear. Then I go into, a, into an analytical lexicon, look it up, and look up the word. It's not as hard as you think. Just look up, memorize my alphabet. It's like, look here. Here's the word righteous. Righteous has a vocative case to it. It's got nominative, genitive, dative, accusative, and evocative, direct address. Righteous is the word dikaios, D-I-K-A-I-O-S. Remember, the word dikaios 
is the word justify. means to render innocent, D-I-K-A-I-O-O. And righteousness is D-K-I-O-S-U-N-E. And it all comes from D-K, which is the word right. Right. And then you've got the word mizan, greater. Got 24 ways to spell that. Then you've got true, alatheis. Alatheis, and you've got all these variations of it. Alatheis means of truth. You've got the word all down here. In John 3.16, the Bible does not say whosoever believeth in him. It doesn't say that. When most people see whosoever in the Bible... They think will comes naturally after it. The word whosoever is not a Greek word. It's never in the Bible. It's not there. What does John 3.16 say? How do I know? I took it out of my interlinear Greek Bible. It says, doesn't say God loved everybody in the world. So is an adverb. I keep saying adverbs. Tell how, when, where, and sometimes why. That's adverbs. Adjectives. Adjectives. They're real easy to understand. Adjectives tell which what kind of and how many if I said the five blue birds flew over the red barn. Blue tells what kind of birds. Five tells how many. So five and blue and red are all adjectives. Tells what kind of a barn, red barn. And they flew over and over is is an adverb. It tells where they flew. It tells where they flew over the red barn. And so adjectives tell which or what kind of or how many. Five would be an adjective. It should be spelled out five. The five bluebird tells what kind of. Flew over. It tells where. That's an adverb. Over. The red tells what kind of barn it was. And is that important in the Bible? Yes. You have to learn these things. Now, where did I say we were going? I said somewhere. I'm trying to give you... I'm trying to give you things that are true. Oh, I went to Romans 3. 
in verse 5 was interpreted wrong. It was translated wrong. It says, But if our righteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? The word taketh is not the word taketh, and vengeance is not the word vengeance. Taketh, you'll get this out of your interlinear Bible, is epipharo. E-P-I-P-H-E-R-O. It means to place upon. It doesn't mean to take vengeance. Vengeance is the word orge. God places the orge upon whoever he wants to place it on. He placed it on all men and all of those who are predestined. He's going to pull us out of our rage and our covetousness and our anger. That orge, orge means to get even. That would be the easiest way to put it. I'll get even with that guy for beating me. I'm covetousness and I have my orge and I want what I want. I'll get him back for that. God placed that on men. How did he place on it? Gosh, it would take me a long time to go through that. He put us in these fleshly bodies that are corrupt to the core. He made us out of corrupt dust, just like he made Adam out of corruption. He said, thou shalt not, and the day you do, you will die. He didn't say, if you eat, you will eat. I've got so many more things to say about these things he didn't say whosoever believeth in him. Where are you going to find out what it says in your interlinear Bible? That's where you'll get it. In the interlinear. Here's what he said. I love preaching on John 3.16 because John 3.16 is actually a predestination verse. John 3.16 says 4. Oh, there's, there's another one of those conjunctions. It's relying on what was said previously. What's he talking about? Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, as he lifted up the serpent, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was Moses doing lifting up the serpent in Numbers? In the book of Numbers. Well, the people began to murmur against God, and God put fiery serpents into the camp of Israel, and every time they would bite somebody, they'd die. And the Lord told Moses, you raise up a brazen serpent on a pole. And that is the sign of doctors in America. That's a doctor's sign. Have you you seen that, haven't you? It's a doctor's sign. And Moses said, you tell them that everyone that looks lives. When Moses said, tell the people, that means you have to have an ear to listen to what Moses said, doesn't it? So the hearing ear and the seeing eye 
Proverbs 20 and 12, the Lord hath made even both of them. So when he says, he tells them, look and live. Well, they can't look without an eye to see, can they? They can't hear Moses saying this without an ear to hear. And it's not talking about these appendages on the side of your head. It's talking about a hearing ear and a seeing eye. So when you get to John 3.16, for, there's a conjunction pointing back to verse 14. For God in the same fashion, so is an adverb. Adverbs modify. You got to remember this. They modify. Modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. Other adverbs. What does so modify? It modifies the verb loved. It modifies. Now, to modify means to alter or put a condition on. So, so is modifying the word loved, and loved is the word agape, which is actually agapa, or the verb form. Agape, and agape is walking in the commandments of God. That's a relationship that fathers had for their families, fathers for their families, and kings had for their subjects. So God, in the same fashion as verse 14, whoever looked live, but you have to have a seeing eye and a hearing ear, and you can't understand. So in the same fashion, it, it puts a condition on agape. He doesn't love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born and hated Esau. If you don't know that so is an adverb, you're lost as a goose in John 3.16. It doesn't say that God loved everybody. It says God so loved. That conditions the word loved. It limits it. And it says he loved cosmos. Actually, cosmon. Because it receives the action of the word love, it's the direct. It's the. It's the direct object, or it is in the. It's in the. Dative case. No, excuse me. It's in the. The accused case. He loved, world. And it doesn't say whosoever. You'll get this out of an interlinear Bible. Here's what it says. That instead of whosoever, forget that. That's wrong. Everybody wants to put will with whosoever. Anytime you find that, I have looked up all the words. I even have a paper. I wrote them down somewhere at home. It's never there. Forget whosoever. That makes people think, well, this is free will. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will, whosoever will. Send the proclamation over hell and he'll... It's wrong. Here's what it says. That the whole... Here's the word ho over here. Look. The 
Ho, masculine gender singular, nominative case. Ho. So it's the masculine gender. The pissed you on. P I S T E U O N. That the believing all pos. Here's pos over here. Look at it. Here's all the words all in the New Testament. Masculine, feminine, neuter, pos. That's the word. The pos. The believing pos. And every time you have this believing as a participle, a participle is an adjective. And it has and it has gender. See in English we only have general nouns and pronouns. So we have general. We don't have genders on adjectives. They do in Greek. They is masculine gender. Believing is a participle. That is a verbal adjective. It's a verb used as an adjective. It's actually the word believing. And all adjectives have to carry the same gender and number as the word they modify. Therefore, believing has to be masculine gender, singular. The is masculine gender, singular. All is masculine gender, singular. Doesn't say whosoever will. Where do you get that? You look at the spelling, pull it out of an interlinear, get you a parsing guide, an analytical lexicon, and you can actually look it up alphabetically in the Greek when you learn the Greek alphabet. And it'll tell you exactly what it says in this. Most people don't know what to do with these when they get one. That's why I'm spending so much time with this today. I want you to know you've got to look and look at the exact word that's in the original text because the King James translators didn't do it exactly right. Do you, Jim Brown, do you think you're smarter than those? I may not be smarter, but I'm not as prejudiced as those Roman Catholics were. They were prejudiced against the Word of God, so they changed it where they wanted to. There's so many more of these. So there is one all. All is masculine gender, singular. What is the one all? It doesn't say whosoever. It says that the believing all shall have eternal life. What is the one all? The church. Sometimes wife will be referred to as the church or bride, and that's feminine. But just because it's feminine doesn't mean it won't refer to the church. That's the one all, the flock. All those individuals that have predestined to conform. John 3.16 is actually 
a predestination verse because there's one particular all and that'll be that's the same word that all is the same word in John 637 637 all that the Father giveth me shall come to me same word how are you going to know that look at your interlinear do I have any time Mike nine minutes I was going to go into I just spent time on this I was going to give you a bunch of other words on resurrection you want to know what the Bible says learn your Greek alphabet get you an interlinear Bible and you'll find out there's a lot of error in the translation it's this text that I believe in the Greek. I don't don't talk to me about a translation. I'm not interested in it. Some people will say, "What about the Tyndale translation?" I don't care what it is. I want this. I want the original text. I don't care who came up with something. I don't care who's translated what. When you say translation, forget talking to me about it. I want the original text, and I'm willing to go into it. And find out where the error is. I didn't get back to where I was going to get back to. I hope this helps you. Does it help some to see the error that they put in the Bible? I'm not trying to give anybody a hard time. I'm trying to tell you. It's not the King James Bible that's inspired the Word of God. It's the Textus Receptus, the T.R., that's what's the inspired word of God. I'll tell you what I was going to do, which I didn't get to today. I was going to take, if I got time to even begin to explain it, but I did this for Robert, the guy in Dillard, South Carolina. I was going to go into, I've got, I've been telling you about the two Babylons two Babylons is written by Alexander Hislop he was of the free church of Scotland Scotland. that was a Presbyterian church 200 years ago he believed in predestination and the truth of the Bible there was a man named Ralph Woodrow that came along and tried to write a book that refuted everything in the two Babylons. The two Babylons has got 200, I believe it's 265 quotes from ancient historians that goes back long before Mr. Hislop was even born. Mr. Woodrow claims to have refuted this in this book right here. This is without a doubt the biggest piece of garbage that Woodrow wrote. It is just foolish. He doesn't deal with all of these 265 people. He gives you a bunch of opinions about what he thinks the Bible means. He is defending the Roman Catholic Church in here, and yet he tells you a lot of the error that they teach, but he says we need to agree with them on the parts that we can't agree with. He, he doesn't have any sense. If somebody has told you that there is a book that refuted and you know where he got this refutation this objecting he got it from 
he read this and liked the two Babylons and wrote a book on the two Babylons. And then some high school teacher told him, high school teacher said, well, the two Babylons can't be verified. So he gives Mr. Hizzup no credit whatsoever for anything he says in this book here. This Babylon connection. It's idiocy. He he just says things that are... He gives reasoning of a six-year-old in the first grade. It's just nothing. I was going to go through this, but he's he's making fun of everything that his says and gives him no credibility for anything. He's an ignoramus. He didn't even check out... It wouldn't be his book he needed to check. He needed to check, like I said, McClinic and Strong. I get more out of McClinic and Strong than I do out of his book, even though I like his book. I get a lot out of Encyclopedia of Religion by Hastings. He didn't even check them out. He didn't check out The Golden Bough by James George Fraser, 13 volumes. He didn't check out uh, mythology of all races, 13 volumes. I've got my library. It goes back into the ancient world. He didn't check. He just he just simply attacked Mr. Hislop on this book and said the most stupid things. If if you've if somebody's told you that this book is not right, don't you listen to them? They're ignorant. I've never seen anything with as much information as this book has. You can't refute everything unless you go back and find those historians and say they're not true. I'm. I went. I had this in my library, and I forgot I had tried to read it one time, and it said such contradictory things. I laid it down, but I picked it up in the last couple of days, and I thought, how can this man say these stupid things? He doesn't have any ability. He's a very respectable-looking man. I got a picture of him, and he looks dignified and got his suit on, but he doesn't have any sense. He, uh, one preacher wrote to one of our watchers saying, "Oh, he wrote a book that refuted. He didn't refute nothing. He was a stupid man." I, if I had time, I'd read you some of these things. He says his appeals to the color of Mary's hair in some paintings from centuries past, until Raphael somewhat departed from the beaten track, he says Madonna was always presented with blue eyes and golden hair. Now, how could that be when she was a Jew and they all had black hair? None of them had blue eyes. He just says dumb things. He says this, According to his look, Semiramis gave birth to Tammuz, mentioned by name in one biblical reference. Tammuz is also mentioned in Hastings, and he puts an entire article on it, how he was the god of the ancient world. Women weeping for Tammuz in Ezekiel 8.14. His assumes all these must have been originally Tammuz. It does not occur to his love that weeping for someone who died was a natural development, not requiring a common original. That's stupid. They weren't re- weeping for somebody who died. They were weeping for a God who died. It's like his reasoning is just senseless. Just He says some things. It's hard to even 
grasp his his meaning, what he's saying. He's talking about Mary was mother of the mother of God and that that's really not what was going on in Babylon. He he says that Babylon he says that his says Babylon was the beginning of all idolatry and he tries to laugh at that. Hizzle didn't say that. The Bible says that. That that Babylon was the mother of harlots. Mother was the one that gives birth to and nurtures and raises all harlotry. And harlotry means idolatry. All the idolatry started in Babylon. And he tries to come up and says, well, there's nothing wrong with building a tower. They built a city in a tower and said, let us make us a name. That was the evil in it. Self. I may come up and say some things about this next week, but I hope me explaining some things about Greek and about the interlinear Bible will help you. You don't need an interlinear Bible unless you memorize this alphabet. And it'll be in your concordance on the first page of your dictionary in the back. You got to memorize your your. You have to memorize the alphabet. You have need to get a get a analytical lexicon, so you can look up the part of speech that you can look the word alphabetically. But you have to be alphabetically in the Greek, and then you can then you can see what part of speech it is what tenses is, if it's past or present or future tense, and it'll tell you what it is. I want to go back to the original text. I want to find out what things mean. The sad thing is it doesn't mean sometimes what the King James Bible says. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I don't even know what to ask anymore. I just pray that you'll cause the ministry to grow, open up doors for this ministry, that we can be strong and stand in the power of your might, fight every battle we have. Lord, and we'll praise you for everything, give you glory for everything. Lead us to elect, strengthen the sheep here. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I hope that a lot of that wasn't too difficult, but I felt like it needs some kind of explanation.